Lifeguard at Huntington Beach. The fun ones were when a guy or a gal would come to the beach, especially the guy, and he'd take off his t-shirt. It looked like he still had it on. Farmer tan here, tan, but he's white as snow. Gets out into the water and begins to get into a riptide. Now, a riptide is a, an area of the water where the water comes in and the water goes out. We call them waves. But sometimes there's a depression in the sand right outside the shoreline. That depression causes that water to go to its own level and run to that. So what it'll do is it will cause this little mini river trying to find that hole. Sometimes they'll be four or five miles an hour. And by the way, 5.1 miles an hour is the fastest swimmer in the world, fastest in the world for 50 meters, not one inch longer. Well, what will happen is Farmer John will get into this riptide and not know. And I'll see this happen. So I will get my buoy, jump off the tower, and go swimming in after him. And he's sitting there looking at me like, what are you doing out here? I said, you're in trouble. Ah, I'm not in trouble, and you're embarrassing me. You're in trouble. No, I'm not. Well, why don't you try to swim in with me? And he'll take a few strokes and realize he can't move. And then he panics. He didn't even know he was in trouble. He had no idea that if he had stayed right there, he probably would have drowned. No one can swim. No human can swim against a riptide. But if you swim five yards that way, out of the riptide, you're completely free. But he didn't know. How do you know when you're in trouble? How did you get there? What do you do now? So what was my purpose as a lifeguard is to see that. In just a second, Jessica is going to share with us the purpose of the church. This is challenging. We all know, but we need to hear this. What is the purpose of the church? So lots of times when we... Um when we think about why are we here, why do we do what we do, it comes down to, oh, you know, we're, we have this individual responsibility, right? Individually, we are all supposed to go make disciples, go into all the world, Matthew 28. We have it here. We've read it. We know that's our idea, right? But what does that mean in terms of a congregation or a church? Why do we even meet? What's the purpose of coming together? And I will say, if you want to take this in a very academic, in-depth um, look at this, I recommend John Mark Hicks and Bobby Valentine's A Gathered People. Uh, it's an entire book. I'm going to give you five minutes of it. Uh, and I'm, we're just going to skim the surface. But I think scripture can give us a pretty solid understanding of why do we gather and what is our purpose. And you're not unaware of the topic of today. So why would we start here? Well, we start here because we wanna come back to each time as we make decisions about a congregation and about what we're doing, are we living out our purpose? 
Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? And so each of us individually is called to go and make disciples, baptizing them, and then teaching them the ways of Christ, okay? And Jesus tells us in Matthew that we're supposed to deny our own desires and will, pick up our cross, and follow him. And that looks different in different contexts, but the key piece is to be able to stand back and go, it's not my will, it's where God is sending me. It's where the direction God wants us to go. And that requires being sort of in tune with God's will. That's some work, right? Some spiritual discipline to get there. But what about the body? Well, there's several pieces you can find, Hebrews, Ephesians 4, that give us some idea. The purpose of coming together as a body is to build one another up. Um, it's, it's to hold us together, right? Um, it's to spur one another on in action, right? So we hold one another accountable. We encourage one another and we build each other up so that when we go out into the world and we do our mission of making disciples, that we have a, an accountability group, that we have some, um, some people who come back when we need to lick our wounds and give us a big hug and say, that's okay, we can go on and we can keep moving. So one of the things I, I want to do as well is not just talk about our purpose, but kind of make a distinction in this talk between what we call Big C Church and Little C Congregation. And when, when we first started the book, we just used the word church until um, I actually told Rick, I'm like, I'm uncomfortable with, I can't, I can't have this conversation and keep talking about church, church, because we need to talk about local congregations versus the Big C Church. And the Big C Church has been going on for a long, 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 long time. Um, you know, like since Acts 2, because we're Church of Christ here, so it's since Acts 2. Um, and that Big C Church is going to keep going for a long, long, long time. Um, actually, no matter what you and I do. Yeah. I mean, I hate to tell you, but we have nothing to do with the Big C Church being successful. That's all God. But little C congregations, that's different. Little C. Have any of you been to Ephesus? Have you met? I know, I went with my dad. Have you met the church there? So churches have a life cycle, and they look different. And so Rick's going to talk about that. So how do we know where we are? What happened? The purpose of this book, this class is based on this book. Right? So what happened? And how did we get there? And why is this not working? And I have so many questions this morning. <laughs> a little history lesson. These are the kind of details that we hear that somehow we believe we can override the, the personality and the profile of history. But this is what happened. Dust Bowl, 1930s, 1940s. Churches of Christ that had not established in the South began moving West. They were forced to because of the Dust Bowl, because of the uh, Depression, because of the war. There was a whole lot of westward movement. So the Lambert family got together with the Reed family in the barn in Southern California and said, let's, let's just do church here. Great. 
Well, then suddenly the Wall family came along and said, well, can we join? Well, absolutely, we'd love to. In fact, let's be evangelistic. Let's share our faith with everyone around us. And that little barn church began growing, and they said, let's go buy a building, a, a plot of land. Let's have a real church. Right? So they did. California, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Idaho, Washington, or everywhere in the West and the East and the South kept doing this. And they started and planted these churches everywhere. They paid $10,000 for that plot of two acres, three acres, maybe four acres. They put up a, a building and they began growing. They would fix the building. They would upgrade. They might even buy a couple houses around the building if they were in a neighborhood. And before long, they have this incredible resource of land. And all the churches began building, and this is what happened in the 30s and 40s, this tremendous congregational growth numerically, spiritually, and people were coming to Jesus because of this. And I say, thank you, God. What a great testament to God's moving and our Faithfulness to that. But there's some math here. Rapid growth through congregational planning happened. Here's the math. From 1940 to 2020 is 80 years. That 80 years is important. And I'm going to posit something you may not accept, but it's the absolute truth. There is a life cycle to every congregation. There is a life cycle to every organism. Jessica said, you, you, you go to Ephesus. You know what? I'm guessing Paul planted that church the right way. I, I'm guessing. <laughs> Yet where is it? Where is any of the churches in Asia? Historically, this is the truth. No human has ever lived over, that we know, 124 years. Okay, that's the three or four that did. The average age, the average human age is about 85 to 90 tops. It just means that, yes, there's, there's outliers, and of course babies have died too, so there's outliers on both sides. But humans don't get older than about 80, 90, even 100, some outliers, right? There's a life cycle. This is the life cycle. I don't need to explain all of these, but I'm guessing some of you have felt this. There is this strategic growth. We're building, we're growing. We got joy buses. We got four ministers. We got the youth minister. We got the uh, assimilation minister. We got the outreach minister. We have the, now we have worship minister. Oh, we are cooking. And then there's a sustained growth there, and we are doing great. And somewhere along in there, this begins to happen. The slide off. But the slide off is blamed on the wrong things, by the way. Anything but the life cycle. Because no one thought when they planted the church, it would ever go away. They just didn't think that. I'm not blaming them. It's just how it was. Just like when you're born, no one thinks, I'm dying someday, until you get old enough to know that you will. So here's what happens. These stages are not always uniform in timing, but historically, the entire life cycle is about 80 years. And you know what? We can't violate it. There are outliers. There are some churches on the East Coast that are 150, 200 years, and for a reason, I'll get to that in a second. But this 
is where we are. This is literally in time where we are, and this is what's happening. And I'm going to propose something. The purpose of this book is twofold, actually. One is to find my water. <laughs> One is to add a lexicon word. Our problem is we see the ending as death. And biblically, it doesn't work. Moses finished his ministry and was buried. Jesus, the seconds before he died, said these three words, it is finished. Where are the Israelite, where is the Israelite nation, where is the Jewish nation as a people preparing for the Messiah? No, I mean the ones that can count all the way back. They were set by God. Their purpose was fulfilled in Jesus, and there's a new kingdom. Doesn't mean they're not Jewish, but the purpose was fulfilled. Historically, since the creation, God has worked through people and then finished with people. I've run five marathons. You can tell. <laughs> you can drive them or run them? You know, I yeah. went through them. Yeah. All five of them, there is a huge banner at the end of the street. It has six letters on it. What are those six letters? F-I-N-I-S-H. Finish. And you know what? When I get to that sign, I honor it. I don't keep running. I stop. I don't give up. I don't quit. I don't die. I don't fail. Any language here familiar? I finish. The problem is we have not figured out in our collective wisdom how to see our congregations having a finishing point from where God planted from the beginning. So all over America, there are these tiny churches, you know, five people and a key, on two or three acres of land, can't die. We can't give, if we, we will die, we can't, we can't give up on God. How can we do that? When in fact, they were already finished and they didn't know it. So I'm proposing this, that we add to our lexicon a word and it's finish. How do we get this to work? <laughs> How do we get to a place? It's trying. It's trying, isn't it? Yes. How do we get to a place where we can think, finish, and not death? Do you know how hard this is, though? For those of us who will say, this work is finished, we can do something else, and, and, and do something else, there is always going to be the pain and heartache of, my father built this place. See those boards on the back of the building? We brought that redwood tree in from Oregon, and we split those up, and there it sits. We put those there in 1958, and it stands. This is a, it's a monument to God. And, and there's the history, and how can we do this? And this, you know how we do it? We do it the same way the Lamberts and the Reeds and the Walls did it. They left home, and they started something different. And not one of those families thought, well, there goes the Lamberts. They're dead. Right? 
My hope with this is that we first begin adding a lexicon word, finish. Imagine all these churches across America thinking, what if we actually are finished with our work? Now what? If we're finished, now what? So within a rock's throw of my home, there's a church sitting on $8 million of land. 20 people finally said, we can't do this anymore. They handed the key to a Montessori school. Just, there it is. It's gone. Well, yes, except they walked away from $8 million of land that could have gone to church plants, right? I'm not faulting them for trying to do something. But what they did was handed it to a fairly secular group of people pushing (coughs) education, which is fine. Education is fine. But I'm thinking of kingdom work, right? What if they had taken that $8 and opened, especially where I live, a crisis pregnancy center? A homeless shelter? How about outreach in Haiti? How about church plants? How about another place? How did they go from being a tombstone to being a cornerstone? That's the bigger question. So I'm proposing that we do this with our with our life cycle that we begin thinking, what if God is finished with this work? And here's the challenge. The church has two primary purposes. Find the lost, disciple the saved. Correct? Would you agree with that premise? There's all kinds of things. There's social justice things, certainly. There's caring for people, certainly. There's uh, uh, being influenced. Yeah, all, but the primary purpose is find the lost, Bring them to Jesus, disciple the saved. What happens if half of that isn't happening? I asked the serious question, what if the church stops being the church and is a religious social club? I'm not trying to be snarky. It's a question. It's no longer reaching lost, but it's doing this totally inward. Is it in the middle of God's will? I'm not questioning their salvation or their integrity or their love for God or anything else, but I will point you to a church that John talks about in Laodicea, and it's worse than you think. Most of my life, I would hear the sermons about, don't be hot or cold, uh, you're lukewarm. And I thought, you know, Luke, we always say, lukewarm Christians, well, they just don't do a lot, right? It's worse than that. Laodicea was a medicinal, scientific center out in the desert, About two miles one way was a very hot spring. About two miles the other way was a very cold spring. And they put, uh, they piped uh, through aqueducts those waters into the middle of the city and used them for their purposes. Very hot water, very cold water. But every once in a while, those springs would lose their temperature one way or the other. The cold would get warmer, the hot would get cooler, and they'd be lukewarm. And guess what they were? Useless. That shocked me. John says, through Jesus, you have become useless to the kingdom. Oh, oh, that's much worse than lukewarm. (laughs) In fact, that's what lukewarm means. You're not hot. Because I used to think, well, don't you want them hot? 
Yeah, cold's really, no, but don't you, no, he's saying, he, that's the illustration he's using. You're neither hot nor, you're useless to, what if our congregation is useless to the kingdom? It's a, it's a serious question. What if I am? It, we've got to entertain the possibilities of these tiny groups that are struggling, sitting on massive resources, being useless to the kingdom. Now, can you imagine saying, hey, Rick, can you come help talk to us about our church? They say, oh, well, hey, David, <laughs> your church is useless, by the way. Okay, so next, I mean, that's a hard sell. That's a hard talk. That's it? I said it depends on who you're talking to. Uh, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. But, I mean, you understand that sometimes the language is so hard. The, the intimation the proposition is so hard. Now, what we think then is renewal. Oh, well, we can renew. A child falls in a lake that's frozen, you know, that goes through the ice, falls in, they, they, they you know, the, the EMT shows up, the family show up, somebody dives down, they find the boy, and they bring him out. It's been down 45 minutes, frozen, sub-freezing uh, sub water. They pull him out. They, re, you know, they do all the resuscitation. They flush his lungs out. They put him in the hospital, and he wakes up. And we go, praise God. Yes, praise God. Absolutely. 36,000 children fall through lakes and rivers every year and don't come out. Why is it we think the boy that came out is the model? We think as we're down under, we'll revive. We can do this. All we have to do is do it better than we've done before. All we have to do is do what we're doing, only faster and stronger and better. And so what we do with human nature, we glom on to the hope of the possibility of a renewal, when in fact renewal, in my opinion, is almost impossible from an idea of re, just redoing what you're doing. But there is a way. Finish. Actually, Jesus used the word die on this one. If you don't die to yourself, hey, you want to lose weight? You have to experience a death. The death is to your present calorie intake and exercise. You can't do that anymore. You can't just do more of that. Hey, I'm overweight. I'm going to eat more food and exercise more. There's a change, an entire change. There is a hope, but the hope has to start with, I am willing to cease to exist. We as a church, are, if it was just us in this room, this, you know, we used to be 400. Now we're here and we're struggling. The proposition I would say is this church will disband, will cease to exist as a church and then somebody, what's your name? Travis. Travis. Travis will say, well, now what, Rick? Good question. Now what? What if we planted a church? Oh, we have one. No, we just died. We finished. Now what? The only hope I'm proposing for that kind of future is doing just that. Don't come out of the grave and carry the grave clothes. Come out of the grave to a new birth. The only hope for that happens that way. There's a dear friend of mine in this room who did that with a church. Struggling church, he said, we're going to start over. 
and they did, and they're alive. Right, John? Yes, very much. You didn't keep doing what you were doing. No. He didn't say, let's do this faster and harder. So here's how it works. What does finish look like? Options for churches in decline. Here's some very serious options. Three of them I'm going to give to you. And thank you, Jessica, for this outline here. <laughs> the organization itself, the resources, and the people, because they're all, they're all resources, right? Here's the first one. Dissolve as a church, take the dividend of the land, or any of the other resources, whatever it is, land and you know, vans and property, anything you have that is sellable, and disperse those properties and those funds to other works that are actually in the middle of God's will. That's one possibility. You dissolve the existing work, you, you take the, all the properties and you div take the dividends and you disperse them out through other works that are working. Hey, I grew up in Southern California. I'm a kite flyer. I'm an expert kite flyer. My brother and I used to make huge kites, just huge. There's three ways to fly a kite. One is you can stand on your front, store, uh, uh, front step and hold your kite up and wait for wind. Not very effective, but you can do it. Just wait for the wind. Okay. Another way is I get Andy, say, Andy, you hold the string. I'm going to go way out here with the kite. And when I yell, go, you run. And so Andy runs, and guess what? That kite goes up. What? He's creating wind. There's no wind. He's creating it. And we do that all the time. You know you can grow churches without God, and because you can, people tend to try to. Happens all the time. I'm not saying they're evil. I'm just saying we grow it around people, programs, and, and we think something's happening. We've got to add another thing. We've got to add another thing. We've got to fix this other thing. Constantly, and when that person goes, dies, or has a moral, moral failure, that church tanks because it was built around something by creating wind. And there's a third way. Go where the wind's blowing. Wouldn't that be better? Hey, wind's not blowing here, but it's across town. We can, we can fly this kite all day long. This is how God works. What if we took our thinking and put it into this idea, if the wind isn't blowing here, that's okay, God's sovereign, by the way, and I'm not, that's the problem. <laughs> He's sovereign, he gets to do what he wants. Instead of creating our own wind, what if we took the dividends and put them where the wind <laughs> is blowing? Works that are already in the middle of, Heritage 21. People, uh, uh, works that are in the middle of taking uh, uh, dividends and funds and and creating church plants or ministries. I, you know, I'm, I'm not here to say, here's the best one. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's your money that, you know, through God, it's your money. You get to decide, but don't sit on it. There's a second way. Possible. It doesn't work often, by the way. You merge this group of people with another existing church. You sell what you have, and then you immigrate the money to that church, and you suddenly have part two, right? The hard part about that is the conflicting visions. Yeah, well, that preacher over there. Yeah, well, that ministry over there. It's not, I'm saying it's impossible. I'm saying this is a challenge. There's lots of challenges with this one. It can happen, but it's not, it's not often. It happens, but it's not often. Here's a third one. Downsize, which means you sell the building, sell the property, sell the resources. 
go, uh, whatever the word is, underground for a period of time, and then relocate. Downsize is the same word as finish. Or you say <laughs> die, but it's finish. You revision, you take some time, and you relocate. There is an amazing church that I used to work at in Southern California called La Mesa Church of Christ. They did just this. They are in the middle of the revisioning. They're sitting on this money. They took some of it and gave what's it called? The Southern California? Common Call San Diego. Common, yeah. Reignite the county. Yeah, yeah. They gave some there. They're sitting on a couple million, something like that. A couple million dollars. It's just sitting there, right? And they're going to relocate and plant a different church. Doesn't look like the old one. Doesn't feel like the other one. It's not supposed to because you don't want to keep reaching back with sentimentality. You know, most of our problem with these things comes from a heart of sentimentality, not a spiritual call to fulfill God's wishes. Can you imagine Abraham saying, yeah, God, that's a great idea, but I'm bringing my family with me. And no, you're not, Abraham. <laughs> I'll show you a place you're going, oh, no, I want to bring the kids. and the, the No, you're not. I don't want you to. I think there's a reason there. I think it was a blessing that Moses died. Can you imagine the people trying to follow Moses, the warrior, the leader into the promised, man, uh, the promised land to settle it? It wouldn't have worked. It's not the same vision. So this is all how it works quickly. And it's in the book, by the way, if you want to read it. Here's the life cycle. The only place this works to actually revision, restart, and uh, you know, finish is if you catch it here. And the hard part about catching it here in the life cycle is you're too healthy. Oh, no, no, we're doing really great. Why would we revision? Well, there is something in business, by the way, called the, sig whoops, called the sigmoid curve, and it looks like this. In business, the only way businesses succeed is when they get to that point, they have formative stages, normative stages, and transition stages. On their way down, they begin forming a different vision. They begin normating, uh, norm normalizing that vision into something else, and they then make the transition. And it happens over and over and over the only existing organisms by the way the United States is in the middle of one and if we don't I'm not this is not a Christian nationalist thing I'm saying if we don't we will cease to exist if we don't revision our existence countries do it organisms do it churches do it the churches that don't do it do not exist today at all this is where it's at and so what happens is they get to the literally they launch another church they do this whole thing again they review and revision, review and revision, and they keep going through this cycle up here. This takes a tremendous leader and leadership. This takes somebody with a steel spine, but more than that, 2020 spiritual vision to bring people with them, to love people with them, a leader, leadership, whatever it is. So this is the possibility but it's not the kid in the 45 degree water. It is literally starting over. The purpose, main purpose of this work is to add the lexicon of finish and to reclaim the billions of dollars of resources for the kingdom. It's not a money grab. I'm not getting any of it. But it's a burn in my heart that has been since 2004 when this whole thing started. What are we going to do with this? There, I mean, what is it, Scott? You, we were talking about this. 
800 billion, maybe a trillion, literally, of just our movement. <clears throat> Billions just in our movement. Just in our movement. Yeah. What, you know what? You give me just $2 million and I go to Haiti with it, I'm changing 10,000 lives in Haiti. I've been there, that's why I know this. What would we do with a billion dollars for God's kingdom? Right? What? Billions? So what happened is we didn't bury our talents in the land. The land is the talent. That's the struggle. That's where we're at. My call, and hopefully a movement, it's a big word, I don't, you know, I'm not a big movement guy. My hope is that we begin spreading this idea. There is a church near a <laughs> metropolitan airport, two acres of land, something like that, probably $30 million piece of property. Five people and a key. Now you start looking at that and you go, oh, wow, terrible. What if we could reclaim that? I don't mean those five people just go away. That's not the point. But what if they met in a home, storefront, all that money, all this research. And I will say this too. God's never need money for his kingdom, okay? He's never needed money. Just like he doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. But we must be faithful. The story of the talents hits me because he praised the risk takers, not those who sat on it, not those who played it safe. I'm not trying to tell you you have to take risk. You're not going to go to Las Vegas and put it all on 23 Red. I get that. It's not the point. But what would you do if you risked for the kingdom? What would happen? That's what's in this book. The challenges of not being useless. The challenges of actually visioning for the future. So I'm going to tell you a story about a little congregation named Mountain Avenue. Um, let's see. Where is it located? Mountain Avenue is in Tucson, Arizona. Um, about a mile and a half north of the University of Arizona. And there's great stories that can be told about Mountain Avenue. It's actually a merge between the Santa Rita and Mabel Church and the University Church. Um, I'd still like to go back to those people and say, don't give up the building at University. The campus ministry could use it. But that's too late because that happened in the 1930s, 1940s. Uh, when I arrived at Mountain Avenue in 1999, uh, two years later, we were celebrating our 75th anniversary. Um, it was kind of cool. Homer Haley came and preached. Um, it's a big deal. I didn't know who he was, but Luana helped me. My campus minister helped me figure out who Homer Haley was. Because um, I'm from the West Coast in the Church of Christ, and I didn't go to any. I went to Pepperdine, so I missed out on all those names. Um, but this church had done good work. They had worked really hard um, in the community. We supported multiple schools. Um, our youth ministry had basically had a football player, brought the entire football team and ended up getting a football coach. And so for a long time, our youth ministry was athletes that had no families and had no support system. And here they were attending our church and it, there was good, good work happening. There was a heart of the people at Mountain Avenue to care for the lost, but really to care for the mentally ill and the poor 
and the hurting. And so when I arrived, the congregation looked a little rough around the edges because the majority of the people there had experienced homelessness or other extreme poverty. And I walked in and went, whoa, it's a little different looking. But as I got to know people, there was a huge heart for the campus ministry and a heart for people. There's real value in the story of Mountain Avenue. The problem is by the time I arrived, Mountain Avenue was already down on the bottom of the curve. Its life was almost over. And nobody knew that and nobody was ready for that. So I arrived in 99. Somewhere I, I have to, it's somewhere around 2001, 2002, we celebrated our 75th anniversary. We did not close our doors until 2017. We were well past our finish point. Um, but I want to tell you the story about Mountain Avenue because I think there's important things to be learned in terms of the practicality of what it looks like to finish a congregation. Um, as you note here, I, I was, I added these words, <laughs> organization, resources, and people. I think it's important that it's not just that we talk about the building or the property. There's something when you finish, um, because I don't know about you guys, but you know, I learned the little church thing, the church is the people, right? Um, so the people aren't dead. We had 40 members when we finished at Mountain Avenue. What do we do with them? How do we take care of them? And what's the right thing? I would say the leadership at Mountain Avenue wasn't, I, if they, I think if we had it to do over again, we would have done different. Um, but I wasn't in charge. <laughs> um, so I think one of the things that I've seen in this last five years or six years now is the importance of helping people plug in in new places and finding a good fit for them. With the campus ministry and the youth ministry, we, we spent an entire summer after the, after the Mountain Avenue finished and we went we would we would post it on our on our page. We'd send out an email. Okay, guys, the entire campus ministry and youth ministry is going to go try out Revolution Church. Everybody meet there. And then the next week, okay, we're all going to go try out Youth City. Let's everybody meet there. And after we went, so so they see their youth minister there, their campus minister there, their friends are there. And we would go and we'd have lunch afterwards. What do you guys like about that? What do you guys <laughs> think about that? What are some good? What are some bads? Where do you fit in? And, and we literally went from church to church to church around town until everybody had a place that they plugged in. That's the first thing is, is the people. The people are the church, right? But we also had three acres, a parsonage, a building. The, um, to be fair, the building was so run down that the city had cut our gas. We couldn't actually use our heater because it wasn't repairable. Um, it was going to be between fifty and one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to do the repairs necessary to actually keep the building. It didn't make sense to do that. Um, it had been done by a, a, a famous architect. We tried for a while to get it on the historical registry and get some help to repair it that way. That's a terrible idea. Um, ask me later. I'll explain all the details. Um, so, but inside that building was years and years of collected resources. It's not just the building. It's not just the people. Uh, we've been a, a Montessori school. 
Um, so we took all of the Montessori school materials and made sure they went to, um, on the south side of town, there was a Montessori school that's a charter that's free for low-income families, and we made sure they had all those Montessori manipulatives. And we took all of the kitchen items, you know, like the 50 million unmatched spoons that you have in the drawer for potlucks, right? And we made sure that our community, we basically had like a community yard sale where it was all free. And, and we, we let all the agencies that help homeless families get into um, homes, we let them know that they could come get uh, kitchen items and clothing from our clothing. We'd had a big old Annie's Attic clothing thing and made sure that all those resources went to our community, that they were, that we loved on the community the best we could on our way out. And I think um, it's important that we consider all the pieces. Um, I think it's also important to talk about the fact that death, finishing, is messy. Um, I haven't done it, but I have given birth four times, and birth is messy. And in, in circles in my generation now, they tell you, oh, hire a doula, get some help, because your husband, no matter how great he is, won't know all the pieces about giving birth. I, it's good advice, right? And I think it's good advice to hire a doula when your church is finishing, to understand what it looks like to know all the pieces and to know all the laws. When, when our building was being sold, we had an offer from a non-501c3. You can't sell the building that way because you can pay taxes on the building in all the years that it had been built. <laughs> and to, so to switch it from a non-profit to a profit is, is not just that they can write us a check and we can sell it to them. There's all sorts of legalities and all sorts of important pieces. We used Heritage 21. Some of those guys are in this room. Um, I, I recommend if this is something you think uh, your church or your congregation might need to do, that you hire a doula. And it isn't just the technical stuff that gets messy. The relationship stuff gets terribly messy. People who you thought were your friends, your mentors, your family, all of a sudden aren't. And I think there's something to be said about uh, if you're a minister and you're in this situation, really doing some good, solid care for people and how that works. Um, so I want to talk about, will you get rid of the next slide for me? I want to talk about, well, how do you know if you are in that situation? So in the handout, there's a series of assessment questions. The book actually has, in the, in the second part of the book, there's assessment questions at the end of every chapter. So this is just a tiny smattering. Um, but I would say there's a couple layers of assessment. Um, I think the first is any congregation, any, sort of any member of the congregation, leadership, eldership, minister, can sit down and look at these 10 questions and answer them and go, hmm, here's where we are in the life cycle. But, but it's, not, it's not like you as an individual person can then go and say, okay, here's where we are in the life cycle, you're done, right? I think there's a, an important piece of entering into a time of discernment where you, as a leader in your congregation, spend significant time educating your congregation 
about what it looks like to spend time with God asking, where do we go from here? And honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. These assessment questions and this concept of discernment should happen at every congregation, no matter where you are in the life cycle. I actually just sat down with my church plant this from, from August until November, and we did this process as a church plant. Okay, here we are. We've been here a couple of years. Where do we fit? I, mean, I can't answer the question about our attendance 30 years ago because we're not that old. But I can answer some questions about are we living out our purpose? Remember the, the purpose. Are we making disciples? Are we actually teaching people to grow closer to God? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing as a congregation? And then where is God's will? Are we following it? Um, I highly recommend that we use the Mission Alive materials on discernment for congregations. Um, you can go, go to their website and grab it or, or reach out to Todd. He's here and ask. Um, it's an excellent resource. It was really good for our church. And um, I think it would have been super helpful for Mountain Avenue had we done it. Um, and then the last thing is, okay, hold on. Um, once you've gone through the discernment process and you ask, okay, God, are we finished or where are we going? Then you begin to ask, okay, well, what does that look like? Are we finished in a way that we need to dissolve? Are we finished in a way that there's another church in town that we're feeling the call to begin discussions with, to merge? Okay. Or are, are we in a place where we need to downsize and revision? And I do want to say one thing here about this concept of downsize. Look, I'm in Arizona. Churches are small. Like, good churches are 100, you know? But lots of churches are like 50 or 30. Small church doesn't mean dead church. Small church means small church. And they can be really effective if they're living out their purpose. Guess what? Big church doesn't mean a live church either. You can be a, a thousand members, but if you're not living out your purpose, then, then you need to be having this conversation just as much as we do. One question, two questions, anything. I have books up here, $15, Amazon, whatever. I'd love to talk with any of you afterwards. And I will be praying that God make it as clear as night is to noonday sun. What's next? I would appreciate any feedback, uh, any interest in this, let me know. May you all have a great time and a great day. I can't wait to hear what God does in your lives. Thank you for being here.